I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners. Welcome back to Clearing the Way. Uh, I am your host, Bradley Martin. My goal is to be a learning resource for small business owners. Um, I'll talk with sales and HR experts, other small business owners, and anyone else that can provide you with information to clear your way to success. Uh, my guest today is another special one for me, uh, Jeff Hancher, founder of Jeff Hancher Enterprises, host of the Champion Forum podcast, and uh, probably the biggest reason that this show uh, exists. Uh, Jeff's origin story starts with the humblest of beginnings. Uh, with a sick mother and a father that was struggling, he experienced an event at a uh, social security office that as a child definitely had a pretty massive impact on him. Uh, he is a, an, a veteran of the Army. He spent 23 years at Cintas starting as a route driver. He got a massive wake-up call after he completely botched his first interview for a sales position. Uh, he went on a learning rampage, got that sales job, and ended up working his way up to a sales director role. Uh, in early 2019, he started the Champion Forum podcast. Later that year, uh, he made the decision to leave the company that he had spent 20 years with uh, and spread his knowledge to a larger audience. Uh, Jeff and I have known each other for a couple years now. Um, I was introduced to him while doing some video work for another customer. And uh, I, I actually, I wasn't sure how I felt about him at first. Um, I was a new business owner, a little arrogant, uh, probably and a little younger. Um, and I hadn't really been exposed to the training, coaching, consulting world yet. So um, I had this weird view. And then I started editing the footage from that event. Um, I found a couple nuggets and, and then um, he reached out for a couple video projects. And the more we worked together, the more I was like, ah, well, I'm a moron. Um, I like this dude. Uh, Jeff, thanks for being a friend. Thanks for providing this space for the show. And thanks for being a guest on Clearing the Way. No doubt. <laughs> what an intro. I've been on a lot of podcasts. And, um, you know, just thinking about that, thinking about some of those milestone events that uh, that you've uncovered and pulled out of the archives, it like it takes you back there, and and adversely, like I, thinking about our journey together as well, and me first meeting you, and I mean we've both grown a lot, you yeah. know, since that day uh, that that I first met you, and I love the candidness about. I'm not sure how I felt about you because I hear that a lot and uh, I'm working on that. I'm working on that first impression and trying to be more approachable and, and all of that stuff. But it's been an amazing journey. Yeah, I, I know like with the I don't know, my view of of coaching and it, it's kind of like marketing in that like coaching has kind of lost its meaning or like training. Truth. It's lost its meaning there. Everybody does these things and most yep. of them are. I don't know, kind of scammy. Oh, yeah. Like, most people have oh, no yeah. idea, no experience. And then... Oh, yeah. Um, and the first, like, initial impression is like, <laughs> Lynn, what are you doing? Like, what are we doing here? And then I listened, and then I was editing, and I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. Like, there is absolutely a need for these things. Well, like, it these, is, it these is things a little watered down. I mean, like, there's a life coach on every corner, yeah. right? And, hey, look, I'm not hating on you if you're a life coach, but... You know, they they it is becoming a little more watered down, and it's like, what has qualified you? And qualification doesn't mean the certificate you got at the seminar Saturday. Yeah. Qualification is is that you have something to give. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it was one of those like a, a, a clear wake up call for me that was like, uh, hey, 
Uh, you're like 25 and you have no idea what's going on. Like, <laughs> hey, like, let, let's 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 take a step back here and like be open. Um, and and then you reached out for some projects. And, and then since then, it was like, oh, OK, like we're I clearly have no idea what I'm talking about. And <laughs> um, and I need people like you around. So, um, OK, so let's let's get into uh, let's get into the fun stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, let's start uh, general uh, format. Uh, we'll start early on. Um, as a student, any sports, any extracurricular activity. So what kind of um, – also, I'll link to – he's talked about his his story uh, uh, countless times. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll add some links to that, and I'm sure we'll touch on some of that. But sure. um, what kind of student were you? Like elementary school, middle school, what kind of – were you kind of a – I, yeah, I mean, what kind of student were you? You know, it's uh, it evolved, I will say that. Uh, it started better than it finished, is what I'll tell you. Okay. Uh, because I think, you know, in my younger years, there was still this, like, uh, this fear of authority, uh, a healthy fear nonetheless, and I didn't have a lot of autonomy. So it was okay. like, just be a good soldier get the good grades. Good grades meant that you were in the in crowd. Being a good athlete meant that you were in the in crowd. I didn't really have autonomy to do anything else anyway. It wasn't like I could drive or that I had a car that I could get out and do things. And so I would tell you early on, um, it was better because I focused on school. I focused on sports, whether it was baseball or basketball or football. I was playing sports Constantly, like organized. Yeah. Okay. Oh okay. yeah. So you played all. Yeah, for the team, Claysville okay. Razorbacks. Okay. If you're out there, okay. Big shout out, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I was out there. I was getting it done. Um, loved loved athletics. You know, growing up in a life of dif- dysfunction, you try to find gaps, right? And early on, there weren't really vices. You know, I wasn't like yeah. six years old, you know, like <laughs> drinking a fifth of whiskey yeah, or, yeah. I, you know, I just went after good things like athletics and my grades and, yeah. you know, different things like that. So, yeah, I think um, from the outside in, it looked pretty normal. Okay. And were those things, um, were those areas that you could get attention, like this, were those areas that you could get um, attention or, um, some potentially some like validation that you weren't able to, I mean, hundred percent. Okay. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, there's a book called, uh, the five love languages. And one of my love languages is affirmation. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I'm no psychology major and sometimes I get wigged out by that stuff. Like, don't try to figure me out. Right. But I will say that, um, I think there are pieces of that puzzle, like if if you didn't know that and you knew me, you would be like, Jeff doesn't need affirmation. Like he's a confident guy. Yeah. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. But there was some of that there. And it might be because and, and again, I'm not here to make my parents monsters by any stretch, but they didn't have it to give. Yeah. I mean, they were literally yeah. fighting for their lives. Yeah. And so I think there was a point of I was looking for some level of validation. Okay. Huh. So you said football, basketball, and baseball. Yeah, you're playing all three. Yeah, okay. And was that all the way up through, um, through high school? Yeah. So it changed uh, once I started driving and I had autonomy. It it all went 
not not great. Okay, so probably like sophomore, junior year, yes. things start. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so <laughs> I felt a much stronger need uh, to make money uh, because I didn't have any. My parents didn't have any to give. My social status was important to me. Mm-hmm. The affirmation was important to me. And the reality was if you weren't wearing the right shoes and the right clothes and doing yeah. the right things, that you couldn't, you couldn't pull that off. Yeah. And so... My, one of my biggest regrets, literally to this day, is quitting organized sports to go all in on. I would literally built my first business when I was sixteen, and really? I regret uh, not doing that. And it was one of my missions as a mm. dad to say, like, uh, I'm going to work hard so that my kids can focus on being a kid, yeah, playing a sport. Uh, playing an instrument, being good at school, whatever it might be. And uh, when I pulled out of that protection of the sport, the team, the organization, you know, get into the wrong crowd, start making bad decisions, and it was a very pivotal point for me. Did you, did you, so you didn't have much structure up to that point, and sports kind of gave you that structure. It really did. So how quickly did you realize, like, how quickly did things start to, deteriorate rapidly like within so let's say you get your license like within that school year oh yeah wow okay oh yeah I remember coaches too coming to me and saying and by all means I'm not here to tell you like I was going d1 on a full ride or it was nothing close to that but I do remember um you know the basketball coach pulling me off to the side more than once and saying like you're you're giving something up here like, he would watch me play in gym class. I'm not even sure I would have been a part of the starting five, to be honest. But looking back now, I knew that that coach saw something happening. Yeah. And he knew, like, this was a miss. This was an opportunity. Did you just quit playing sports at that point? That's the funny thing. I didn't because I still loved sports. Okay. And so, so you would find well, me at the local playground. Okay, but you quit the organized. Oh, yeah. Okay, so almost immediately you, like, license. All right, I'm going to start working. No more sports. Yep. No more organized sports. Yep. Um, still doing everything outside of it. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so you said you started your first business at that time. Well, okay, so let, let's get to that. But did you have a job first? So or yes. did you just start? <laughs> no, I did have jobs. Um, I will tell you from a very young age, though, I was an entrepreneur, not because entrepreneur was cool, yeah. because it was necessary. But yes, I, I did have jobs. You know, I was a bus boy at the local truck stop. Um, I remember uh, cleaning cat dog kennels, a German shepherd breeder, uh, paid great money. But boy, you want to talk about a rough job. How early were you doing that stuff? Oh, 11, 12 years old. Okay. Um, yeah, I was always going around town. I was the kid in the wintertime that had a shovel in my hand at all times, okay. ready to shovel snow. I was the kid uh, in the summertime that would literally go around my small town, pushing the mower up and down the street, knocking on doors. <laughs> like, I was okay. that guy. And those jobs, like busboy, you got paid minimum wage. But I was willing to work. Yeah. But then it was like, I had a mower, and I'm willing to walk. And people would pay me more to do their their grass than what I could get in like five hours of bussing tables. Yeah, and I'm like, man, there's something to this. Okay. Okay, so that's pretty. I mean, that's early. That's early on. Okay. Oh, very early. Okay, so your first business that you start is that 
like an actual business that you... Oh, yeah. Uh, what was that? So the, the actual first business, if you want to call it a business, that I started was a produce business. And so growing up in poverty, we, we did everything we could do to make ends meet. And this is going to sound like backwoods kind of story, but this <laughs> is the honest truth. We would have gardens that were acres and acres of produce. I'm talking corn. I'm talking pumpkins, watermelons, strawberries, potato, you name it, acres. And we, we worked it all by hand. We had a pump that would go in the creek. It would pump water out. <laughs> and we would literally get hose and get on our hands and knees and, like, weed the garden for all summer. And we would take, we would, we would can everything. And this was your family's? My family. Okay. Yeah. We didn't own the land. Okay. We worked the land. We, okay. we asked people, like, can we, can we till the land? And, I mean, crazy stuff, right? And we would can enough food for the year. And whatever was left, me and my brother, we would load up, think of the Red Flyer wagons. We would load these things up and go to the center of town. Back in the day, every Friday, everybody went to the bank. We didn't have online banking, none yeah. of this. We would go to the bank because that's where everybody was going after work to cash their checks. And we would set up basically okay. in front of the bank and sell produce. Was that something that you guys learned? Like you learned or was that kind of taught to you to go to those places early? Because, I mean, that's like very – that's a great skill. It's like, oh, you recognize <laughs> where the people were. Let's go to where they're at. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I don't know how we ended up there. I don't know if it was like a conversation at the dinner table. I don't know if it was like – it just made sense. I can't remember how we got there, mm -hmm. but I remember like as a 12-year-old in front of the bank negotiating with people about produce and <laughs> just doing what made sense because it wasn't a matter of like I was trying to boost our income statement. Yeah. You know, it was a matter of like how can I get another dollar out of this guy? Yeah, it was out of he necessity. He wants three zucchinis for five bucks and I'm like, hey, why don't you get another one for five fifty? You know, so yeah. it just came natural to me. So that was the the first business. The more lucrative business came once I got my driver's license. Okay, and what was that? So when I was 15 years old, around that time frame, Nintendo came out, the first, the OG, okay. right? Okay. And, and again, if you want to be cool, you got to have one. Uh -huh. And nobody was getting me a Nintendo for Christmas or my birthday. That was never going to happen. Yeah. Now, as a young boy, I would spend a lot of time with my grandmother. And every summer, my grandmother would have a yard sale. And she would always say, like, if you boys have any, like, old clothes or old toys you want to sell, throw them in there. Maybe you'll make a couple bucks. And we always thought, you know, five bucks, that's cool. We go to the ice cream store, like, wow, that was fun. Yeah. So this Nintendo comes out. I don't have two pennies to rub together, but I got to have this Nintendo. Like, if you're a Any who, idea what that cost at that time? I think it was, like, 110 bucks. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So, like, all right, you got a long way to go. Oh, I'm talking, I mean, it was, like, big money, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so... This idea popped in my mind. I lived on a pretty busy street. So this idea popped in my mind, well, have a yard sale. Like, that's what Grandma used to do. Like, surely we have enough stuff around here that I can make 100 bucks. Yeah. And so I just popped a sign in the yard, yard sale, <laughs> threw some stuff on a table, and people were buying it. And, but I only made like 60 bucks. And so I start calling all my aunts and uncles and saying, hey, you got any stuff? 
I'm having a yard sale. If you if you were going to throw it away, I'd love the opportunity to sell it. And they're like, yeah, come grab it or I'll drop it off. So I had another sale the next week and raised enough money to buy a Nintendo. <laughs> okay. And so here I'm like, well, there's something to this. And so I start, everybody I would meet, I would be like, hey, do you have anything you're getting rid of? You want to discard? I get my license. I buy my first vehicle for $75, the vehicle. Okay. It was, uh, it was I, I mean, forget the year of it, but it was a GMC. It that was, is so insane. It was, That's so, that is this, so nuts. It's crazy, right? Like if you know me bucks now. $75. For the, a working vehicle the that truck, is not a scooter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the truck didn't even have a key. I don't you had know to if you can get it. a Razor scooter for $75. Bucks. Like, I know. That's insane. And okay. the thing looked horrible. I'm I mean, sure. I mean. It barely had a frame. It was rusted out. It was every bit of five color, uh, color car. <laughs> I literally would go to the dollar store every week and buy two cans of black spray paint and I, I was going matte before it was cool right <laughs> and uh, okay. all right so I buy this vehicle and uh, I'm like man you know that yard sale thing was pretty lucrative but I have no way of getting inventory and so I start going to these auctions and I would buy stuff and then I started thinking well I need to go where there's more traffic. Like, not not everybody... I mean, this was before Facebook and whatnot, right? Yeah. And I'm not paying for an ad for the local paper. I would only get traffic if you drove by. Yeah. So I'm like, I got to go where there's more traffic. So I would go to these auction houses, and I would just buy anything that, you know, was in my budget. And I would load it all up. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday... I would go around the different flea markets and I would set up. When you were shopping for your inventory, did you have any idea what you wanted or was it like... It didn't was, matter. So there was... Did you have any thought of like what people might be interested no in or clue. just like these things fit my budget? Yeah. I was the guy at the auction that was like, <laughs> take the whole box for 50 cents. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. I'll take as it. As much as I can get for as little oh, as yeah. I can. Okay. And I, I was never the high dollar guy. The quantity guy. Never that guy. Because I couldn't compete with those guys. I wasn't buying the furniture or the old baseball cards or the big-time tools, the craftsman stuff. I was never buying that. I was buying the stuff that was like, there might be one thing worth a dollar in there, and I'll take the whole box. I'll throw away what I don't want. And, and Brad, I got to tell you, I was so hooked on this. <laughs> I was so original fascinated. Flipper. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, this is amazing to me. Like, my buddies are out flipping burgers and doing whatnot, which, hey, God bless you. But I'm like, I literally bought this box of stuff for 50 cents. And I'm going to lay it all out on a table and probably make like 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and it just blew my mind. And I would always think to myself, why doesn't everybody do this? I didn't even understand why. Yeah. It just made so much sense to me. I remember the gem. I still remember it to this day. I'm, I would go through at the end of a, a, an auction night and I would go through all these boxes and I come across this old, like old time razor, like a straight razor. And I'm like, wow, that thing looks really old. That's probably worth something. I didn't know an antique from nothing. <laughs> but I remember I would just lay it all out on the table. There was no rhyme or reason. I didn't even clean the inventory. I just threw it out there. Okay. And some guy walks by and picks the thing up, and he was like, wow, where did you get this? And I said, I actually won it at an auction. He's like, really, what are you looking for uh, to get out of it? 
And I said, I was hoping to get 20 bucks from it. And he was like, that would be doing you a disservice. He's like, I'll give you 50 bucks for it. Like, who does that, right? An honest guy full of integrity, whatever it might yeah. be. And he was like, this thing's probably worth at least 100 bucks. And if you're okay with 50, I'll give you 50. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> like, knock yourself out. It was in a 50-cent box of stuff. Nobody knew. I didn't know. Nobody knew at the auction. Nobody was going through all that garbage. I was the garbage guy. I, Brad, I would literally go into wealthy neighborhoods. I knew their garbage day. I would go into their neighborhoods, <laughs> and I would go through their stuff, and I would, I would walk away from that neighborhood with a truck full of stuff and go to the flea market and sell it. Did you ever run into any issues with that? Like people saying, get out of here? Yeah. Never. Really? Never once. I feel like that, that's so weird because I feel like that's maybe not common now, but I feel like you hear about that now. I think you like, do now. I think is, back in the day it was a little different. Yeah. You know the irony of that story, though? Um, the, the neighborhood that I spent the most time in picking garbage is where I bought my first house. Really? Isn't that something? That's cool. It was amazing. How long? So how long did you do that? How long were you flipping? So or whatever you want to call yeah, it at that so time. So I started when I was 16. I left for the military when I was 18. But in my mind, what's funny about this is I almost didn't join the military because I was going to move south. Now, the thing that sucks about being a flea market guy in Pennsylvania. We have winter. We have winter. <laughs> but this, we have this thing called snow. Yeah. But to me, this was lucrative. I mean, as a 16-year-old back then, we're talking 91, 92. I was probably pulling in anywhere from 700 to 1000 bucks a week. Wow. Okay. But there's only, you know, 12 weeks of summer. Yeah. Now, that's good money where I come from. But I'm thinking to myself, if I could do that in the summertime, imagine if I had all year to do this. Mm -hmm. I could build a life around this. Now, thank God it didn't happen <laughs> because I'd be the best flea marketer on planet Earth making 30 grand a year, right? Now, look, God bless you if that's what you do. But here's what I learned really fast. It might have been kind of fun. That was just a launching pad. <laughs> yeah. And it taught me so much. Here I am, a 16-year-old kid negotiating with adults and, you know, rough people around the edges, people getting mad because I wouldn't accept their price. I learned how to negotiate, not from a book. I learned from the big flea market down in Claysville, <laughs> like the, the school of hard knocks, yeah. right? Huh. Okay, so you did that up until you left, but how um, – that's when things were starting to – I mean, you had your license and you weren't in sports, so you lost your structure. Yeah, totally. And that didn't – I'm assuming that didn't provide you any – like, it, there's no structure there. You're doing it all – like, everything's Having alone. money in my pocket was a big problem, <laughs> a big problem. It, it wasn't like I was stowing it away for an IRA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, there was no living for tomorrow. I mean, I was living for today. Yeah. And uh, here I am with very little direction, a driver's license, and a $75 truck, and a pocket full of cash. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. And no structure. None. Like, no curfew. Like, <laughs> just call and tell us you're alive. Brad, there were times growing up that literally my parents would both be in the hospital at the same time for weeks and it would be me and my brother at home. And that, that house turned into Animal House. Did, did Was your brother going down the same? Oh, yeah. Okay. He was getting so there faster you, than so me. So I'm sure you were just snowballing um, like with both of you in that. For sure. Um, hmm. Did he 
was his path pretty similar it early on like sports and then not yep younger or older he transitioned away from the structure of all that earlier than me okay and is he younger or older than he's you? two years older okay okay um Hmm. I think too, and I again, I'm not a psychologist, but I think the the dysfunction and how you know living in poverty and having sick parents and divorces and substance abuse and all this stuff, being the older brother, I think it affected him differently because I think he wanted to, in some ways, protect me, yeah, and be the bigger brother. So I think he carried more of the burden. Hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Okay, so you, what led to you deciding to join the military? Yeah, um, man, I, this would be a great time to say because I'm a patriot, but that would be a lie. Um, I've always been patriotic. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, um, I was in high school when um, Desert Storm happened, and that was really the first sniff of anything since Vietnam. And uh, everybody had a yellow ribbon around the oak tree and flags were flying. And um, I remember feeling what that felt like, but I didn't join the military for those reasons. I w- Brad, I was running from something, not yeah. to something. And this dysfunction led to getting uh, brushes with the law, we'll say. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I'm not here to tell you, like, I was the local Al Capone, but... Um, I was making bad decisions. You know, I needed inventory. And, uh, you know, I was, I was doing, I was around the wrong people making a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. And I felt like the walls were closing in on me. And so I joined the military. Did you, you mentioned the one, your coach, the basketball coach that kind of tried to steer you straight. Did Mm -hmm. you have anybody else that was, yeah, did you have anybody else along that way that was kind of trying to get you out of that yeah. or yeah there were former friends okay they would approach me and you know give me the caution you know former uh teammates because when i left that i found a different friend group yeah you know it's like you're gonna find what you're looking for yeah now from a standpoint of my, the structure of my family it was kind of fake it till you make it like um basically you're living a double life if you will like the world's going to think I got it all together, but the reality is is that I'm falling apart. Yeah. But the people closest to me, the former teammates, uh, you know, things like that, they would come to me and be like, what are you doing, man? Like what's going on? And nothing stuck. Nothing stuck. No. I justified yeah. it. You know, yeah. a little bit of imposter syndrome too. Well, a lot of that stuff too, if you're – it's kind of like with anything, if you – any of those difficult things to get out of, like, unless you want to get out of it. It's true. You're not, it doesn't matter what anybody says. Because in your matter. mind, it's, you're doing the right thing or they don't see it the way you see it or Correct. whatever, whatever, however you justify it, it doesn't matter. Well, and you have this mentality. I had this mentality that I didn't deserve it. Like, I, I come from the other side of the track, so I don't really deserve the nice things. Um, I set the bar pretty low. Like, to me... Having a, a drivable vehicle and a couple dollars in your pocket, like, what else is there? Yeah. Like, this is good. Like, one of my chores growing up as a boy was to cut the tin 
coffee cans into squares and pop rivet them to the floor of my dad's car <laughs> so that air and rocks wouldn't shoot through. Like that's the standard yeah. I was trying to beat. Yeah. Wasn't real hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so was mili- – how did you – okay, so you were running from that, but how did – how were you introduced to that as an option? Was it like something? Yeah, I will yeah, lead you anywhere because um, I don't know the answer I, to I it. I think it, it came to the point of it was stable. Um, it it was consistent. But were you looking for stability at that? Like, did you know? Had you kind of hit? We'll call it rock bottom, and you were like, "Oh shit, I can't do this anymore." Oh yeah, I knew okay. I had to. I knew I had to get out. Like okay. in the back of my mind, Brad, I always knew. I always had this feeling that I was built for more. Okay. But I had no idea how to get there. Nobody was like guiding me or mentoring me or saying, hey, this is the next step or read this book or try this or go to this school or do that. I didn't have that. But I thought in the back of my mind, maybe I am good enough to get a college degree. Maybe. I don't know. But there's no way I could pay for it. Yeah. And I knew that the military would pay for it. And that was really, in the back of my mind, it was sticking that if I did decide to go this route and be a college graduate, which is like, I mean, big time, right? Then at least that option's there. But if I don't go down that road, then I could just keep extending my military career because I didn't have skill. I, I wasn't like I was a pipe fitter by by trade or, you know, our family was really good at carpentry or I was going to go learn how to trade stock and my family was going to send me on how to be a financial planner. I had nothing. I had one thing. I had the ability to work hard. And that's what I had. That was I had that in abundance. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know where to go. Do I become a welder? Do I become a plumber? Am I going to go drive the big rigs? I don't know what I'm going to do. But here's what I know. The military is always hiring. Yeah, yeah. And it's a pretty stable job. Yeah. And so if I end up not going to college, then I'll just stay in the military and I'll just make a career in the military. Okay. So that makes sense. Uh, it's kind of crazy that you – not crazy. It – the fact that you knew that, like, that you could realize that at that point, because, I mean, at 18, like... A mess. We're all a mess at 18, yeah. first of all. Yeah. And you're already down this, like, you've kind of already beat the baseline. Right. Like, you're 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 outside of what the expected, expected outcome is. Mm-hmm. Like, you're already making a little bit of money. Not much, but, like, compared to what you're expecting, like you're sure. killing it. Yeah. You're killing it at that point. You sure. have a $75 truck, yeah. like you're killing it. Yeah, right. But you realize, you know, I think I'm maybe, uh, <laughs> this, something's not right here. Um, yeah. Okay, so you joined the military during that time. Did you end up getting a degree? Did you end up getting a college no. degree or going to college at all? No, um, I had every intention I I paid the fee of orientation, even had a couple books bought. And I was going to go to a local university here, California University. Um, did all the paperwork, did everything, which was <laughs> mind-blowing to me. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh-huh. My parents surely didn't know. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was just praying to God that this counselor was sending me down the right path. I didn't know where the dorm was, how I was going <laughs> to live, nothing. But I'm like... I'm doing this because in my heart, Brad, I knew like there was something in me that told me I I can do something with my life 
And my motivation was I wanted better for my parents. I wanted whatever life they had left, I wanted to give them a little bit more. Yeah. And by the way, I'm probably going to have a family someday. And I didn't care hell or high water. My family, my kids were not going to have the life I had. And I was determined. So here I am two weeks away from starting at Cal U. And I get the call that I had gotten more than once from my dad. And it was, they're sending mom home in hospice. And not that you get numb to that, but it's like, yeah, okay, um, let me know how I can help. I'm sorry, I'll be over tonight. And he's like, well, I really do need your help. Your brother has a career and I have to have my leg amputated. And nobody's here to care for your mom. And he's like, I know you're starting school in two weeks, but we need you. And I did what any listener listening would yeah, do. Yeah. And you put college on the back burner, you go home, you get the visiting nurses lined up. But here I am, I'm being a leech. And I'm like, I need to support this family. So I go get the local newspaper. This was before the internet. Yeah. And I'm like, I just need a job to get from here to going back to school. Yeah. And so I'm not skilled at anything, so I got to find something that fits. And I see this article, and it says, route delivery. And I'm like, I could do route delivery. <laughs> so I make the call. I get an interview. They explain the job. Basically, I got to go from one shop to the next and pick up dirty clothes and replace them with fresh, clean clothes. And in September of 1996, I started with Cintas Corporation, thinking it was going to be a short-term thing to find out it wasn't. Huh. So you, that was, you were still in the Army at that point? I was in, in reserves at that point. Okay, yep. okay. Um, okay, so you start that job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you ended up being there for forever, mm-hmm. um, at least in current standards no doubt that's no doubt that's a long time yeah um okay so then man that's a wild a wild start to that oh yeah um okay so how long how long until you realized you wanted to try something else there like did you when you started there did you anticipate being there like did you have any idea what what could happen there or no, no clue. It was no just like, clue. I'm, this a, I'm was, a driver. This was, I'm going to work this job. Little do they know. I'm going to work this job until the next semester starts. Yeah. And then I'm quitting. That was the plan. Yeah. They hired me as a fill-in truck driver, meaning if Joe calls off, you're running his route. You're the guy. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> that guy. I'm yeah. not even on a commission. Uh, I was My first W-2 was $21,800, literally. Like, that was it. And by the way, this is going to surprise you. They had benefits and a 401k, and I was balling. Yeah. Like, whoa. Why would anybody need a degree, right? Yeah. And I fell yeah. in love with this uh, this structure. When I started in 96, it was a $600 million company. When I left in 2019, it was $7 billion. <laughs> So it was like lots of growth. Tremendous leadership, which is where I, I later in life I fell in love with leadership so much because I'm a product of great leadership. Yeah. It's not because I came with all this amazing stuff. 
and I, I ended up staying. But yes, I did want more. Okay, and you knew that pretty quick. Like, I mean, I guess you you kind of knew that from the from early on. That's what led you to the military. Yeah, um, I, I mean, nobody said to me, "Hey, Jeff, the next step if you want the big money is to go into sales." Yeah. Nobody said well, that. Well, so how did you discover that? Uh, so just by observing, like here I am, a truck driver, I'm in the route room or whatever, and a sales guy would walk in and he looked cool. Like he had shiny shoes on. They were looked nice uh-huh. and they drove cool cars. And, uh, you know, they always looked polished and professional. And I would just, I was attracted to that. I was like, that looks respectable. Yeah. And uh, I stood, just started asking questions about what do those guys do? And they're like, they sell. They're selling. And boom, the light bulb went off. That's what I used to do. I can sell. Yeah. I could probably sell better than these guys. <laughs> they didn't see what I'm capable of at the flea market. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking to myself, I have a little bit of those skills. So that experience in that school of hard knocks, it kind of gave me a little bit of a confidence that maybe this was for me. Yeah. Well, little did I know that selling in corporate America is a lot different, a lot than, different than the, the Claysville market. flea market, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, um, that, but that's what got me interested in making the leap. Okay, so I mentioned your your botched interview at the beginning, and then oh yeah, um, and then you realizing you needed to learn. Um, so I guess I mean I know that, um, but what did you? So you had this interview, and then was it immediately after? Well, well let's start here. How discouraged were you from that, or? From the botched interview? Yeah. Or was it a a a kick to like, oh, I I have no idea what I'm doing. I need to figure this out. Like, or I guess it could be both too. Like what uh, what was the mindset after that? Oh my god. How did gosh. that affect you? I mean, I speak about it to this day. Yeah. And I can't it's hard to even describe that feeling because I was a great truck driver. You know, I guess I guess that's relative, but I I was getting good results. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I was making good money. I mean, I already told you I'd made nearly twenty two thousand. So how you like me now? Yeah, I had a had my first brand new vehicle, uh, a cherry red Chevy S ten. Life was good, but I feel like there's maybe a little bit more. And so I put my name in the hat for the open sales position, and I'm telling my wife who's pregnant with our first child. I'm telling my parents, my brother, everybody, my friends, you think it's good now. You wait. Uh-huh. I'm about to get this sales job. I'm getting this job. And life's going to get real good then. They have a car allowance. They pay for your fuel. Like, it's, it, we're about to, I mean, we're moving on up. And I get into the interview, and this, this hiring manager had the audacity to ask me what were the steps of a great sales process. Which, by the way, is a great question to ask in a sales interview. But in my mind, I'm thinking, why would you ask me that? Do you, why don't you ask me about... Come how, see me at the flea market, Yeah, dude. come see me at the flea market. <laughs> and by the way, go look at my results on, on, yeah. on being a truck driver. And that'll tell you why. Uh-huh. But here's what I learned really quickly is what got you here won't get you there. And he, he taught me that lesson that day. And he didn't say, let me think about it. He said, you're not even close. <laughs> you're, you're not even close to ready for this. And he made some recommendations on th- some things to do and how to develop and all that. And I... Well, that alone is like a good... Like you mentioned the good 
leadership there. Oh. Like the fact that you got any yeah. any coaching from that oh, is like time. okay. Big time. Uh, was that was the hiring manager or, or whoever interviewed was that somebody that you worked closely with beforehand or was there any relationship? We there? knew of each other. Okay. Uh, so there not, was a mutual respect. Okay. Uh, the only reason I even got the interview because I was a good truck driver. Yeah. And I was likable and didn't cause trouble, yeah. right? I think in the back of his mind, he was probably thinking, this is a long shot, but I'll give the kid an interview, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, looking back now and thinking about that interview, it was a disaster. Like, I had no business interviewing for that job. Yeah. But in my mind, I walk away, and what do I do? Like a lot of people do is say, that guy doesn't know what he's missing. That guy has no idea. He's making the worst decision of his life. I could be the best sales rep he ever had. And what I did, which a lot of us do, is we start making excuses for our lack of success. Mm -hmm. But I had to have, I was the one that had to make the drive home from Bridgeville to Washington, Pennsylvania. And I knew who reality was going to stare me right in the face when I walked through that front door. Mm -hmm. And it was more than just not getting the job. I was letting my family down. And, and to be ready to do something, there's more at stake than just the next thing. Yeah. There's people counting on you to win. And I had to do something about it. And yeah. I was determined to. Yeah. What uh, what were the, what was the guidance, like vaguely, or if you remember, what was the guidance that he, that you got? So we, he asked me the question, do you know the proper steps of a sale? Do you know the six steps of the sales process? And I'm deer in the headlights. Well, little did I know that at this company, they had a sales process of which it had six steps and it was taught and there were binders all over the place mm -hmm. that had this information in it. And in his mind, he's thinking, well, surely if you want to be in sales, you're going to ask somebody, how should I prepare? <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. So <laughs> okay, I did. So that's a good, did you, what kind of prep did you do for it? None. Okay. Like, okay. Okay. So I'm, you were I'm really, good, you oh, were going to kill it. I, oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. once he starts hearing me talk, uh -huh. you know, and, uh, I wow him with how outgoing I am. And, you know, I tell him about my time in the military and how I could shoot a target at 300 yards. And I start showing him all my results from being a truck driver uh -huh. this is a done deal done deal and it was the farthest thing so he told me he actually pulled a binder out and handed it to me and he said those six steps are in this binder if you're serious about this job i'd recommend that you learn them <laughs> i'm not even saying you have to be good at executing them but you at least need to know them. Yeah, you can at least tell me what they are. <laughs> right. They are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I can't do them, Yeah, but I know them. Yeah, like that's, that's a good start. And that's a lesson, I think, to everybody listening is like, you can't talk about it. You got to be about it. Mm -hmm. You can't say you want it and do nothing. The dream's never the problem. It's never the problem. Everybody yeah. listening has a dream. Yeah. Not everybody's going to execute. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you, uh, you work up... Um, you finally, you know, you do the learning, you get the job, you spend 20 years there. Well, how, how, how long in did you get the sales job? How long had you been there? So 10 months, about two and a half years. Okay. So pretty, pretty quickly. Um, like, yeah, I'd say that's pretty, pretty quick from truck driver to into sales. Um, okay. So you spend the next... 20 years there, um, working your way up, learning all of the things. Uh, at, while you were there, did 
did you did you know at some point you were going to did you plan on being there forever actually no okay so you knew you were going to leave at some point i didn't know anything like okay. i was just i was just trying to be good at what i was doing okay i didn't really have the foresight to think i'm going to and i will well, tell you the like, whole time you did, like you had no f- at some point i knew like there was a there was a runway okay and i would tell you it was when i got into leadership that i really felt like okay now i'm starting to understand how this org chart works and the different elements of the business and the different skills that it takes to get there and that's when the real career pursuit happened but early on i was just trying to be good at what i was doing how long in until that happened you think Five years. After you had gotten into sales? No. Or total? About five or six years total. Okay. Five to six years, I got my first crack in a leadership role. Okay. And that's when you kind of realized, well, at that point, did you realize that you were going to move on from there or that you just enjoyed, like you found your space? Like at the company? Yeah. I knew like at this point. Yeah. I'm, when I say move on from there, I mean move not from the job, from that role from the company as a whole no at that point i'm a lifer okay like i'm not even interested in looking anywhere else yeah i'm all in i have gratitude for what they've provided for me yeah the opportunities i still don't have a college degree by the way and everybody's telling me you're never going to be a leader here Uh you're never going to probably get a sales job here and and based off a lot of hard work and all this stuff that those doors opened up so I'm loyal. I have gratitude. And by the way, I see more opportunity on the horizon that I might be able to chase down. Yeah. I'm in. Did you, you mentioned the college thing, and this is something I definitely wanted to touch on because it's something that I've felt a lot. In that sales field or even going into meetings with clients or, or any of that, did you, did that ever come up as a, um, either a point of contention or a point of like, oh, I'm not good enough for this. Point of contention for me or for them? Yes, both. For me, definitely. Um, for them, it only came up once in my entire career. Really? Meaning from like a hiring manager. Now, the water cooler talk was, yeah. you'll never get their hands because you don't have a degree. We only hire people with degrees. I later found out that was a myth, but it was more of protocol. Yeah. It wasn't a policy. Yeah. Now, we you would never get hired from the outside into sales without a degree. Like, it was yeah. a requirement. But because I was going up internally, I was able to break some of those rules. But everybody would chirp in my ear, you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it. Now, myself, th- it was my nemesis. You want to talk about imposter syndrome? I don't have a degree. My results are good. I'm faking it a little bit, looking the part, but you go to the the quarterly meeting or the training meeting at corporate and, hey, everybody go around the room, how long you've been with the company, what city you're from, and where'd you graduate college from? And that's when I'd find myself in a bathroom stall. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm out of here. I don't want any part of that. Yeah. And so I did have imposter syndrome. Like, well, surely I'm probably not going to get to the next level. And then in my mind, I would start settling and saying, but it's pretty good here. Yeah. So... I'm not complaining, but I would just keep trying to push, push, push. And if you're great at what you do, it's usually the catapult to open the door in the future. So many times we have our eyes on that door in the future, so much so that we lose sight of being great at what we're doing. Be great at what you do now 
and incrementally get better at what you want to do later. Hmm. But don't lose sight of what you're doing now. Yeah. Did you ever consider going, going, not back to school because you didn't actually get Many to times. school? What caused you to not do that? Not to sound cliche, I I did I like looked into University of Phoenix online. I looked into all of it. Yeah. And every time that I would be close to like, all right, we're doing this, I'd get promoted. And so what would happen in my mind, I would say, this job is more important than this degree. Let me get settled into this job for like 10 months uh-huh. and then we'll hit the college <laughs> thing again. And I would just, I mean, I would engage so heavily when I would first get a promotion. Yeah. Because I believe that first 90 days is critical. Yeah. And the first year is very important. You're firing people. You're bringing new people in. You're establishing your brand. You might be learning something new, processes, products, whatever. I can't afford, I have no room for error. I don't have a college degree. I got to be better, not just good. I have to be best in class. Yeah. There's no room for error. So I'd put college on the back burner because I'm going to focus in on what I have now. And so I'd put it on the back burner. Then I'd get stable and adjusted and then I'd get promoted again. (laughs) And so this was a cycle that kept happening. And look, maybe I'm here on this on this podcast today making an excuse for not getting my degree. Maybe. Maybe. Um, But I just kept going. Yeah. And just kept trying to fight for more and. At this point, I'm here to tell the world, I will never be a college graduate. <laughs> yeah. It's not happening. Those and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, at what point did you make that decision, though? Like, at what point did you finally say, okay, we're done with it? Like, it I, I don't need it. It wasn't until the last promotion that I took that I decided in my mind, I'm never going to do it. I'm not doing it. But when the the irony of this, and I told you only once did it ever come uh-huh. up. So this is crazy. So I'm now a director of sales. The next step is vice president. And I, I would say I was in the conversation. And one of the divisions that I worked in, there was a president of this division that I was close with. He felt compelled. He emails me and says, get to corporate as soon as you can. I need to meet with you. So I'm thinking, this is the conversation. Uh He wants to start grooming me for this next step. So I'm having the meeting and he's like, look, I'm not going to take much of your time, but I know you drove all the way from Pittsburgh, but I needed to tell you this in person because I like you, Hanch, and I think you have an amazing career here. And quite frankly, I want you on my team and I want you on my team as an executive, but I owe it to you to tell you. I will never, as long as I'm in this role, I will never make you a vice president without a college degree. And I just wanted you to know. Uh, I mean, we couldn't add a phone call for that? <laughs> that is a... Okay. What were you thinking when that Like I was that devastated. Is, yeah, that's a... That's... I mean, I guess... I mean, it sounds crazy. I guess it's not. Like, I don't know. I don't know. That is a, uh, yeah, the, I could see how that would be a little devastating. So at this point, it's like. That's a while. So, yeah. I didn't lose much to this point. So when you when you win, the benefit of winning 
is that you have a little bit of swagger about you. That should never make you arrogant. And but when I when I heard this, the first feeling I had was I'm devastated. And I wasn't devastated because I thought the journey ended. I was devastated because that's how he felt. Yeah. But in my mind, that quickly turned to they've been saying this for years mm-hmm. that I would never get to the next step. That I've been hearing this for yeah. years. And it just fueled me even more to get to the next step. And I just went with, I went in with everything that I had. And I'm like, maybe I got to move around this guy. Uh-huh. Maybe I got to go to a different division. I don't know what I need to do. Maybe I just need to outlast him. <laughs> but I'm not going away. Yeah. And I, I, I've been being told you're not going to get there for years. So I had that little, that, that kind of that underdog mentality, that little bit of a chip on my shoulder that I'd been carrying probably since I was five years old. Uh-huh. And that kind of chip, it can either kill you or it can propel you. And there's really no in between. Yeah, that's okay. And then, so we're pretty late in that career. When did you realize? When did you realize that you were going to move outside of that? Hmm. So, I start a and podcast, and maybe in relation to that that um, that discussion, like how long after that was oh. it? It had no bearing on my decision. Okay. None. Okay. Zero. I thought, honestly, Brad, I thought I was going to retire from that company. Um, Still love the company. I still love the company to this day. Yeah. Um, I had no intention of leaving. I mean, life was good. I was getting to the next level. It wasn't even a question in my mind. This was happening. Yeah. But in early 19... I had been doing some some leadership, uh, volunteering to do some leadership training. At, like outside of? Outside of the okay. company. Okay. And my, my really good friend says to me, hey, have you ever thought about starting a podcast? And I'm like, you know, I keep hearing about this podcasting. Like, what is that? And he's like, well, basically, it's like audio for YouTube, kind of. He's trying mm. to explain it to yeah, me. Yeah. And so I download the app and I start listening to podcasts and I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. I ain't got time for a podcast. I'm, I'm flying all over the country yeah. in my job and I got kids and I, I don't got time for this. So a couple months goes by and he's like, hey, have you thought any more about this whole podcasting thing? And I'm like, I don't really, I wouldn't even know where to begin, yeah. honestly. He's like, what if I just did everything for you? And all you got to do is come in into a microphone and say what you say. And I'm like, that's kind of hard to pass up. Yeah, yeah. But in my mind, back to imposter syndrome, who would want to hear what I have to say? Like, yeah. who would want to hear me talk? Well, as fortune would have it, it seems like a lot of people want to hear what I have to say. Who knew? So I start this podcast. I get a message from Apple congratulating me on being new and noteworthy. And I'm nice. like... Great. Wow. I remember calling a friend, a mutual friend of ours, saying, what, what is this? <laughs> and she was like, that is unbelievable. <laughs> You're going to hit this algorithm. And she's like, you really need to get on social media. You want to talk about crazy? I was never on <laughs> Facebook. I saw it as the enemy of productivity. The only thing I was on was on LinkedIn, and that was for recruiting. Mm-hmm. So she's like, no, people are going to want to talk to you. Yeah. So I start these profiles, and I would start getting DM'd. Hey, do you do coaching? Hey, do you do training? Hey, do you do this? Hey, do you do that? And I was like, yeah, 
I didn't, I don't know how to price it. I don't know how I'm going to get there. Yep. I can only do it on the weekends. But yeah, uh, yeah, because I liked doing it. It was fun. It was a hobby. And this thing just built and built and built. And I got to this place that I had a, I was at a crossroads. And I had to decide, am I, am I staying or am I going? And that was a really tough time for me. Was there, I'm assuming that led to some... Maybe, I, I don't know what the best word for it would be, but some type of either controversy or negativity or weirdness. Maybe weirdness is a better way to describe it at, at the company. Oh, my. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> but I remember being on the corporate jet. <laughs> and, I mean, I got relationships with these folks, but it's somewhat fraternal in nature. And I remember one of the top executives that we had saying to me, when's this podcast thing going to end? And I was shocked he even knew about it. I was shocked that he, it was even on his radar. Yeah. But I think in the moment, he thought this might be a threat. This might be a threat and not a threat to the company, but a mm-hmm. threat for me leaving or a threat that... I've lost, uh, you know, my energy to give what I used to give, Yeah. right? Yeah. And something, so, it's something else that, I mean, you only have so much energy. Exactly. So. so it's another thing that's pulling from the energy that I could be giving to the company, right? Yeah. And so I just bathed it in, this is basically a hobby. I'm just messing around. Yeah. And literally, that's how I felt. Um, but that's not what was happening in reality. Now, that wasn't my plan. Yeah. I didn't have this big business strategy to have, you know, this amazing podcast or launch a business. It just kind of accidentally happened. And so this is all happening and you get to that place that it's like your gut starts turning and you, you start thinking about what really matters and what fulfills you and what's your legacy going to be and all of this stuff. And I mean, it just came to an emotional head, really. <laughs> okay. Um, so... Okay, so you make the decision, you're out. You're out. You're starting this thing on your own. Um, Were your first, I'm skipping a lot here, but we'll get to, uh, we'll just jump into some of these things. Um, Was there, when you're getting your first clients, was there some type of, well, okay, first were those clients smaller businesses or people that you had worked with in the past? Like, who were those first people that you were working with? I didn't know any of them. Okay. Was that all podcast? All organic by okay. way of podcast or social media. Okay. I, Brad, I didn't know what I was doing. And by the way, let's rewind back and paint the picture. I decided to leave in December. I almost had a heart attack, literally making that decision. It was December of 2019. Yeah. So think about the spring of 2020. (laughs) Yeah. Three months later, four months later. All hell broke loose. Yeah. And so here I am getting a little bit of momentum under me and the world shuts down. I didn't even know what Zoom was. I didn't didn't know anything. Was everything that you were doing up to that point local? Everything. Okay. Okay. COVID was the best thing that happened to my company. Yeah. Not even close, not even close. But those early days, keep in mind, I went from a very rigorous career 
I'm talking like sometimes three cities in a week, four cities in a week, running around, supporting acquisition efforts, going 100 miles an hour, you know, for the last 40-some years of my life, running at a high pace to what are we doing tomorrow? I don't know. I was coming out of my skin. <laughs> I mean, I was batching podcast episodes. What I'm not going to do is sit around and hope something happens. I'm doing something. And I have all these trainings built, and I'm, I'm ready to make a run at this. I'm getting a couple gigs here and there. And COVID hits, shuts everything down. And I'm like, well, that was a good run. Just took a long walk off a short plank. But the whole plan was, if this doesn't work out, just go get a job. Well, that wasn't even an option now because everybody's laying everybody off. Yeah. I mean, the world was coming to an end Yeah. if you asked anybody in that moment. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I'm screwed. Maybe I need to go plant a garden and sell produce again. Yeah. Maybe hit the flea market. I don't know. And so what I did in that moment, I asked myself, how can I serve people? And they didn't need leadership training in that moment. They didn't really need sales training in that moment. What they needed was they needed some vision. They needed a mindset. And that's when I birthed the keynote, the state of readiness. And I would literally <laughs> call business leaders and say, look, I have a story to share that I think will help get your team in a better mindset and help drive morale in this time of turmoil. And by the way, it's free. I want to do this at no cost. How were you selecting businesses? I was selecting them based on what, how, I, how I felt I could add value after this event. And so I specifically went after small to medium-sized businesses because big businesses have it all figured out. Yeah. And I'm saying that sarcastically, yeah. right? Yeah. But the small to medium-sized business, um, I felt like I could add a lot of value because they were still building the playbook. And so I would target those businesses knowing that um, if I can add value with this, with this keynote, maybe they're going to have me back in to do some level of leadership development or sales training. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Was there any, um, was there any like stigma or anything to overcome coming from a career in corporate into those small to medium? No, I would tell you it, it played to my advantage. Okay. You know, we opened the podcast by talking about there's life coaches on every corner the one thing that I will tell you that has helped set me apart is that I have the scars to prove it. Yeah. I have the scars to prove it. And these small to medium-sized companies, they're not necessarily saying that they want to be a $7 billion company. But I will tell you this. One of the keys to success, whether it's as an individual or a business, is to attach yourself to people that have been where you want to go. And that's something that I believe that I offer that's unique to our team and what we're building mm -hmm. is that we're not like everybody else. And I know that's like a, you know, a cliche thing yeah. to say to get a competitive advantage, Yeah. but th the, the rubber meets the road there. And it's like, that's why I'm willing to do the keynote for free because I know this is going to be a little bit different than what they've heard before. And when you add value, you can't help but grow. Yeah. You will grow. Yeah. Um, so when you're starting out, what were obviously you've got COVID that starts, so that's that's an issue. Um, but even before that, like you leave you leave the company, and then then what? Like 
did you have a real plan or was it just like, I have people that want to pay me, so I guess let's figure it out? It kind of was that. I mean, I had this base that I was building upon my transition that was at least going to give me a, a somewhat of a start. And this, I mean, look, this is not um, entrepreneurial advice that I'm about to give because it's the wrong thing to do. But here's what I did. I said, look, here's my savings account. Uh, here's my stock portfolio. <laughs> here's some real estate that I own. I'm willing to give this thing a shot for 18 months. And if it doesn't work, I'll go get a J-O-B. Yeah. So I didn't have like, I wasn't in a room with a whiteboard for three weeks creating this marketing plan and business strategy. My whole thing was is that I'm prepared to do this the hard way and do it organically and do it by way of referral and just try to add value. I didn't care about the price points, which is not another thing that's not good advice. Yeah. But I didn't care. I just wanted at-bats. Well, you were... The fact that you had... The fact that you weren't reliant on the money at that point is... That helps. That helps. Um, And I think that's something that, like, buddy Neil, he, when he went down to Nashville for drumming, it's like he had insurance that he was doing. So you're able to take a lot of risk and just get in front of people because you're not reliant on making money on this new thing that you're doing. You're just... Now, do you need to? Sure. But Mm -hmm. I know I can do this for 18 months. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of time to get in front of people oh, yeah. offering this stuff for free. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nobody was going hungry. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that puts you in a in a really good spot there. And people, a lot of people make mistakes with that, Brad, and you've probably seen it where, the, you know, it's a real sexy, cool thing to be an entrepreneur these days. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to quit my job and go for it. That's insane. Like, and I just told you it was bad advice. I did it. Not everybody can yeah. do that. So don't. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Like, you know, a, a good friend of mine wrote a book called The Third Shift Entrepreneur. That's the right way. Mm-hmm. It's like, do your job and let and do the side hustle. Yeah. And let the market tell you if you have something. Yeah. yeah well, uh, the rebuttal to that would be like your, when you were a kid. Are you forced into it? True. Forced. Um, True. Because there's also that that style where it's, I mean, that's kind of my, like. Well, there is I, that. And, and look, that can work yeah. for the right person. Yeah. You know, in sales, we call it selling scared. It's kind of that burn the ships mentality. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, uh, we're on the island. Burn the ships. There's no retreat. You, you, we either going to win or we're going to die, but there's no, yeah. there's no other option. Yeah. With the right mentality, that can work. Yeah. Because it's like we're either going to bleed out on the field or this thing's going to work. There's no in-between. Yeah. And if you have that warrior mentality, that strategy can work. But I will tell you, that's risky. That's a risky. Well, not, not, I mean, less than 3% of the world's population is wired that way. Yeah. That they're willing. Everybody that we would ask, are you a hard worker, is going to say yes. Yeah. But not everybody is by definition truly ready to die yeah. and bleed to not lose. There's a difference between fighting to win and fighting to not lose. That's a whole different mentality. Yeah. Huh. 
Okay. So you were, what would you say, were you more of the, in that case, are you on the, to win at this point? Because original, uh, initially your, I can't lose. Because did that switch? I think that mentality is still there. Okay. It doesn't need to be, but I hate to lose more than I like to win to this day. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. Now, look, I'm all about a trophy, but I don't need it. Do I like recognition? Yeah. Do I love affirmation? I told you before I do. I love it. Yeah. But I will tell you this. I don't need a pom-pom and a cheerleader because there's a fire that burns on the inside of me that it wouldn't matter if you were cheering or not. I'm going because I said it earlier, engage your motivation when you engage it, you hear these stories about moms lifting cars off mm-hmm. of kids. That's not normal, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it happens. Yeah. Because something engages in them that they can do something that's almost supernatural. That's not anything you can teach. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. When you tie what you're doing to something that matters beyond your W-2, you won't lose. Yeah. You will not lose. I wasn't going to lose. I wasn't going to let my kids down. I wasn't going to let my parents down. At some point, I was going to make sure that my parents never had to pay another dime for a prescription. I was tired of the prescription companies screwing them yeah. and them not taking medicine because they couldn't afford it. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen on my watch. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, okay. So you've got COVID. We'll kind of take a, a step back into this. Um, and you're, you've got a lot of changes to make. The whole, the whole thing is over. Mm-hmm. How did you approach, how did you approach that? Like what were, how did you make adjustments? How did you figure out what needed to happen? Um, I mean, obviously it'll be um, somewhat determined by COVID, but I think there's a lot in the figuring out how to attack those problems that actually that doesn't matter what what the issue is. Like, yeah, there's a roadblock there. In this case, it's a worldwide pandemic, but um, big one. But I think they're like, how did you approach that? How did you make your changes? How did you figure out? Okay, here's how I can actually make this work. Yeah, I mean, I think being an entrepreneur, it's it's about pivot. Yeah. Like, even if you have a business plan, which, by the way, knock yourself out, it's good for about a week. Like, yeah. things change so fast. Mm-hmm. And if they're not changing, you're probably not growing and stretching. So I had to constantly change. Need I tell you, Brad, I, when it comes to technology and things the like... worst. <laughs> I mean, it is embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. And that could have held me back. Well, I could never be an entrepreneur. I don't even know how to build a website. I yeah. don't even know what a hashtag is. I don't even know this. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you have left. What do you have? I tell people all the time, I'm good at like three things in life. And that's it. And I go deep into those three things. So here I am. The pandemic's happening. I, I mean, I vision myself on a big stage with hundreds of thousands of people wowing them with my motivation and whatnot, and then all, all hell breaks loose. I just sat down literally with a legal pad and a pen and a good cup of coffee. And I, I remember, I wrote at the top of the pad, 
how can I serve the people now? That was it. That was the plan. And I remember I just started writing. I make these. I make these little asterisks. That's uh-huh. what I do. Uh-huh. And I would just start <laughs> writing. How can I serve the people? And I would write different ideas. Then I have this list of ideas. And I started ranking them on what I could, where I could they fit into what my skill was. Before that, how, so it, it seems like that was, like COVID forced you to be more customer focused. Like, well. Oh, big we'll, time. So before that, how was it? I mean, you were kind of just, here's what people are asking of me. I guess that's what they, like, yep. I'll just do that. Yep. So this switched you to, okay. Proactive. Yeah. I, I'm i looking at what are the needs of these people and how can I do these things? That was it. Um, and along that, like, were you just focusing on what you're good at or what you knew that you could access? It was crazy at first. Is And this is a, this is a watch out for the, for the new entrepreneur is saying yes to everything. I still do this. Oh, man. <laughs> Because here you are, like all you're trying to do is grow your profit mm-hmm. and build cash and and drive the, the the bottom line of your company. And somebody comes along and says, can you create a sexual harassment policy for us? And I'm like, you bet I can. I have no business. Like, yeah, I have no business doing this. Yeah. Like, I know what I'm good at. So that's a lesson is know, know when to say no. You're better off waiting for the success than than going. It's much better to go a mile deep than ten wide. How long did it take you to figure that out, though? Or are you still? No, no. Still I, I mean, I that? feel I'm a more vigilant. There's things that I want to do to expand, but I yeah. we're building a team under it. Yeah. Um, but it didn't take me long, and I'll tell you when the epiphany happened was. I knew I wasn't serving our customers. I knew I could do it, but just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Yeah. And I knew this wasn't my lane. You know, my lane was was leadership. It yeah. was business strategy. It's sales strategy. That's my lane. How did you figure that out? Like, I'm a, I assume there had to have been a, a time that that happened that it was like, Oh, uh, this is just not effective anymore. Like, yeah, it, it. Well, I'll tell you what it was. It wasn't even really the deliverable. It was the amount of energy that I had to put into making it yeah. respectable. Yeah. Because it wasn't my skill. Yeah. But you know what? Speaking of this harassment policy, this kept coming up. We need a time off policy. I need to discipline somebody. Do you have this? Do you have that? So you know what? I'm having coffee with somebody. That's really good at this stuff. And I pull them on as one of my first 1099 employees. And I'm like, they're an HR guru. And so I don't want to say no to the customer, but I have no business doing that. Yeah. So a win for my 1099 Uh and a win for my customer. Find find somebody to do the things you can't. Man, I mean, I mean, yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like unbelievable, right? And so I just wanted to stay in the lane. I was willing to delay success to do the things that I felt I was called and built to do and where I could add the most value. And if you're willing to be patient, and you should be patient, that stuff really starts to pay off Yeah. because it becomes your brand. Like if I were to ask you right now, what is Warren Buffett known for? Everybody in the world knows. He's a stock genius. If I were to ask you, what's John Maxwell known for? You know what he's known for. Everybody knows. 
the message there is stay stay in your lane. Don't go too wide. Don't spread yourself thin. It helps you create brand and it will help you get the, the referrals that are the bloodline of your growth. Because I haven't, Brad, I haven't done a sales call in months. I mean, maybe maybe 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is, that's a, that's a weird one. Because there, there is, there's a point where you're, you take on too many different things and it spreads you too thin. But there's also, before that point, like you, when you started, it's like, I don't really do these things. I know what they are. Yeah. So you also, there also is that piece where it's like, oh, okay. Figure it out. Yeah. Um, the agreeing to something that you know you can do, but you don't really, mm-hmm. like the structure isn't there for it. So it's like, you, it's, it's <clears throat> kind of more of getting good at realizing what you're actually not good at or, um, and I, I guess maybe you said it better, which is you realized that it was taking too much time. It killed me. Um, and it wasn't fun. Yeah. Not that I'm saying like it has to be, you know, pony rides and cotton candy building yeah. a business, but it's like it shouldn't be a root canal either. Yeah. Like it was painful. That wasn't my lane. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, but that thing pays 700 bucks. Mm-hmm. Like get it done, figure it out. Yeah. I had to, I've dealt with that several times where it's like, oh, can you do a Sucks. logo? It's like. Sure. I know I can. Yeah. I can. Yeah. It might take me seven times longer exactly. than it takes somebody who actually knows what they're well, doing. Here's what here's what it is too, when you first start out, is one thing you have is time. Yeah. So you're like, well, I'm not doing anything else. I might yeah. as well build a sexual harassment policy. Yeah, well, or a and logo the, the, or whatever. Like, oh, if I say no, then then what? They'll oh. never come back to me. Or oh. like, oh, maybe this is the, the next last thing. person. Yeah. yeah, and it's that fear. Yeah. And we Which do could live be in that. True, like that. I don't it think it's an be true. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Um, Not every customer is your ideal customer. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to realize that at first though, because all of them have to I be. I made that mistake too with coaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you came to me and said, I want you to help me, I want you to coach me. You know what I said? When do we start? Mm-hmm. When do we start? And I was coaching people and they were loving it and I was loving it and they were paying and cash flow was growing and life was good. But then I started losing time. And I'm like, this isn't, I don't, I mean, I don't see the revenue growing, but my time's going lower. What's going on here? And the reality was I was coaching people that couldn't offer me anything else. Has your, just working with you, I know you're very well structured. Like your time management is pretty solid. Have you always been good at that? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I don't think it's because I went to Brian Tracy's Eat the Frog First class. I think it was just that I always had this sense of time is your most valuable resource. Now, what how I ch- I've changed through the years, Brad, is to me before time was work 20 hours a day. And, and that's called working hard. Yeah. But there has to come a place that you start working smart because working hard is a differentiator early on. But it's not if you're going to reach your fullest potential because hard work is then a an expectation. Mm-hmm. But it's that efficiency and productivity. And that's learning what to say no to and becoming more efficient, relying on technology, finding gaps of the day 
Now, I mean, look, if you were to, if we were to open up my calendar right now in front of everybody, some people would get tired just looking at mm-hmm. it, right? Because I'm going to put it all in in a day. I will go to bed tired. Yeah. And I will leave five-minute breaks, and sometimes I take calls on the toilet. Yeah. Like, I'm putting in a full day. Yeah. And so I do meticulously manage time because I think it's the greatest resource we have. Yeah, it seems like that's actually your the... Um that's kind of the limiting, not maybe not the limiting factor, but that's the thing that's kind of determining when to stop doing things. You know, for it's like sure. at the beginning when you've got it, you kind of maybe not need to, but you might want to just do it all. You know, it's like if you can, like to a point, like extent, because that's kind of where you learn. I mean, that's the only reason that I do any of this stuff. Like, it's cool. So, like it helps you to, to explore some new areas. Um, but like you said, at some point, if you're, if you're really bad at time management, you're going to, you're not going to be able to do all of that. So you've got to, that's kind of the thing to get good at actually. Correct. Like if you can get good at that, then you know when it's time to start saying no, because and you, it's not be actually an option. Yeah. Like you got to be willing to give up the revenue and take that step back to take two forward. Yeah. You have to be willing to do it. Like I had real estate agents that I was coaching. They didn't have a team under them. I would they were never I was never gonna come in and do a workshop for yeah. them. And it was like they're good paying clients. They're paying top dollar for coaching. And they were they saw value in it. But the I can't I can't bundle that account. Yeah. I can't grow that account. I, I, I can't it doesn't make them bad people. Yeah. But I gotta say no because we are all limited by time. Yeah. And so I got to figure out how can I increase my value and my profitability and grow the company? I got to do something different. If you want different, you got to do different. And if there's one thing that you should be evaluating on the weekly, it's how you're spending your time. And I will tell you how I manage my time is a put off to a lot of people. How do you do you actually review that? We, I do. How do you, what's, so, your, like, what's your process for that? I'll give you an example. So when I first started, the coaching side of the business was the most lucrative revenue stream that I had. Yeah. And, and it was an easy point of entry. Not a, big, not a big spend, like a big seminar or anything like that. So it was an easy point of entry. And then I would kind of work in there and I would add things on. Yeah. And so from there, um, what I found was coaching is very time consuming. And, and, and by the way, the training and the workshops were starting to pick up and they had a better price point for me. So I had to make the hard decision. I'm looking at my calendar and I literally started doing some trainings on Saturdays, but I'm like, this is getting insane. Yeah. I am a, I'm limiting myself because there's only me. So yes, I started building the team and bringing more trainers on and all of that. But I'm like, where can I get the biggest return on my time? And I will literally like put it up on a wall and I'm looking at it. And as I'm visualizing how I'm spending my time and I'm seeing where my recurring appointments are, I start thinking, well, if I did this and I did that. So the first thing that I had to do was I had to move all of my coaching clients to Monday through Wednesday. And I wanted Thursday and Friday free. And I was going to go all in on training. Okay. Now, the training kept picking up. Keynote speaking kept picking up. So here's what I did. I looked at all my coaching clients knowing I'm getting rid of 20% of these. And some of them were great people Mm -hmm. and great companies and paid well. 
but 20% of these have to go, not because they're bad customers, because I need the time, because my business is scaling. And I had to make the tough conversation and tell them yeah. it's been a good run. Was there, I want to come back to that that time management, but through that, was there the thought of bringing on more team that maybe were less experienced or just that you could that you could have managed those clients was well, that a consideration I, or it was a consideration but it was a day forward consideration not a go backwards because here I am building my brand building the vision adding value to these clients and saying now Joe's going to take over and it it was just like that was never going to work now day forward uh, I started having people interested in joining my team and taking some of that on. Matter of fact, that's how the leadership development groups were birthed. Okay. Because I'm like, I got to find a way. I can't take on more coaching clients. Mm-hmm. And based on that need and always asking myself the question, how can I serve people? I would always have the meeting with them, the consultation. And I would tell them like, look, I can't take you on as a coaching client, but here's what I do have. And that's how the leadership development groups were birthed, hmm. which is a monthly subscription. Yeah. And there's, you know, 15, 20 people per group. And it's it's 90 minutes of my time, but it's hitting the masses. Yeah. So that was birthed out of need. Yeah. So when you're looking at your, like, how are you managing your, do, do you just keep a super detailed calendar? Is that how you manage your, your time effectively? Is, yeah. Is that your... Yeah. Um, and here's the other thing. And again, this is why people get put off. I will cancel on you. Yeah. Unapologetically. Yeah. And that's not courteous. And I know that. Yeah. I'd like to think I'm a good guy, but I'm constantly managing my time so flawlessly that if I have an opportunity to be with a client that is going to bring in $100,000 of revenue and I got an introductory call with somebody that's looking for a mentor scheduled, yeah, I'm making the call. Yeah, I'm making that call. And I know they're going to be upset. I'm never going to try to do anything to hurt my brand. And I'm always going to be the most, the person with the most integrity. But I will tell you this, if you don't manage your time, and I'm not saying like, don't go to your kid's baseball game. Yeah. But I'm saying you have to make the hard decisions in order to manage your time. Because time is the resource, and you got to be willing to say no. When your kids were, a l- they were all older, three, yeah, so they were all a little older when you started this. Um, did you have any issues with that, like when you first started like managing? No, managing your time and, like, attending things. I mean, at first it was amazing because I had nothing to do. Like, okay. you know, I went from, you know, going 150 miles an hour in, in so the it was corporate actually world. at the beginning. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Which, look, truth be told, back to the funeral test, it was part of the, part of the why. Mm-hmm. Is like, I'm not going to apologize that, you know, I built a career because that was the goal. The goal was to give them a life I didn't have. Yeah. And here's the separation of, well, you gave them things, but you didn't give them time. Look, I'm going to try to do my best to balance both. Yeah. And nobody nobody listening and nobody that's ever walked the face of this earth got that perfectly right. Yeah. It's like you want more time, but you don't have the resources. Now you have all the resources and you don't have the time. The reality is, is that you just have to be in the moment. Yeah. 
but it was it was a scary thing because my son was a he was embarking on his freshman year of college. Uh, my my daughter had her high school years yet to go through, and um, I learned real quick like. Hey, genius, this might not have been good timing because your son needs a loan to go to school. And now you have no proof of income. Yeah. And it's like those things started <laughs> popping up. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. what did I do? Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And so there's all those hurdles that nobody tells you about that you have to navigate when you leap because it sounds so cool whenever you, you know, you hear the the biggest entrepreneur get on a podcast and be like, "Go for it, spread yeah. your wings, yeah. you can do It'll it." It'll end up great. Oh, and but sure, then it might. Then the yogurt hits the also, fan, and it's a mess. Yeah, and you got to work through it. May it. not end up great, and that's the risk. Yeah, and that's yeah. why people that make it big, congratulations. Yeah, you deserve it. You earned it mm-hmm. because you were willing to put it all out there and take a shot. Yeah. Not many people are willing to lose it all. Yeah. And all of us that are entrepreneurs, that's basically what we've said is we're willing to put it out there and take the risk. Yeah. Give up the big stock portfolios, whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So time management seems to be your big that, – that's kind of the thing that, that is – uh, maybe not that's the thing that's made you successful, but it seems like that's the – that's what's led to or allowed you to continue to grow. Maybe that's a better way to think about that. Like It is, and I think you have to redefine what good is because good when you're um, starting out, the definition of good has to change. Yeah. And the only way that you know uh, when to move the lid or, or raise the lid is to get around other people that are doing it. Yeah. Because again, I thought, you know, having a cherry red brand new S10 off the lot was the end of the road. How could yeah. it get better than that? But then you get around other people and you're like, oh, wait, there's more. Oh, wait, I can get better at time management. I fight for minutes today. Did you did you learn that from somebody? Or, uh, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. like you've, you've been good at that, but did you, were you always that structured with it? I was always structured with my time. By the way, I think the military had a big part in that. Yeah. uh, Because they tell you when and how and all that, right? You're up at the same time. You're doing training at the same time. You're eating at the same time. You're going to the bathroom at the same time. Yeah. And I always remember thinking like, boy, we got a lot done today. Yeah. Wow. And so that helped uh, create that culture within me. But I will tell you this. You you should get around people and be good at asking questions. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, look, you can only read so many books and read a lot of them, by the way. But get around people that are visionaries, that are innovators. And and ask them questions like this. Ask them questions like, what are you thinking about now? What, what do you think about? What led you to this mm-hmm. or that? Or what do you do to save time? We do this in our masterminds that I host. And it's amazing the dialogue that comes from these conversations of how these successful entrepreneurs think and these business leaders think, which is the beauty of the mastermind is you start listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been in this game a long time. I never even thought of that. Most people aren't willing to put it out there and look a little bit dumb and vulnerable by asking a quote unquote dumb question. Yeah, well, especially with guy. things like as, as, easy as, as easy as time management. Oh, it's like, yeah. hey, just 
keep track of it. Like, just do better. Well, yeah, because like, people think if you go to bed tired, you, you're good at time management. Yeah. That means you're busy. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're winning. Yeah. A lot of people are busy, but it's not about that. You know, you know the interesting statistic is that Jeff Bezos, he gets 24, just like us. Mm-hmm. He obviously has spent his time differently yeah, yeah, I'd say than so. the rest of us, yeah, right? Yeah. And that doesn't make him better than us or anything like that. But it does mean that he's doing things differently yeah. than most people. Yeah. And so we just got to get around those things because it, it really is about thinking differently and changing how you think and, and believing that there's more that's possible and that there is ways to find incremental improvement. And typically the answer doesn't lie in us. It's what we consume, and it's who we surround ourselves with. Yeah. Um, did are, are there any other? So that's up to, I don't know. I mean, like kind of current. Is there any other like major hurdles that you've run into since going solo? Like getting clients is its own thing, you know, referral wise and all that, and and completely changing with. COVID, but everyone's going through that. Like everyone's trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there anything else that sticks out as a, as a big learning moment for you? Yeah. And I would say I'm still in it. Right. And it's, um, it's the scaling. Okay. It's the scaling of the business and the infrastructure. You know, there's a saying that uh, never outkick your coverage. Right. And I feel like uh, we've done that. Yeah, well, Where especially it's like, like there's more opportunity than time. Yeah, especially knowing you because I, like you said, you're not great with tech, so it's not like the processes and procedures and all the things are set up all nice and tidily. It's that's like, it. Oh, so now I have to go back and build these things so that now we can do I'm all reverse these. engineering, yeah. literally. Yeah. Like working through the the website that you and I have looked at, mm-hmm. um, you know, hiring our first full time employee, uh, and I mean, look, she's been around a week, and it's like, where have you been my whole life, and yeah. why did I wait so long? Yeah, but you know, I mean, it's like when you're when you're building something, it's you're scrutinizing everything, and there is a level of risk that you have to take, like you know, the different trainers that we have. I should have done that earlier. Um, I, I should have I should have built that differently sooner. Looking back now, I see it. Yeah, I didn't see it then. Um, so some of it is learning by failing, but I think it's important to remember: like failure is a bruise; it's not a tattoo, right? Yeah. That's how you're going to learn a lot. I have I have failed so much in this business. Yeah, but I just win more than I fail. Yeah, and that's how you make progress. But that the infrastructure. That's a big one. The scalability, a big one. I knew going into this thing I sucked at technology. Yeah. I knew that. Yeah. Like I sucked in technology and corporate too. And I had to get people around me to help me. Yeah. So I knew I like I'm not going to a class to learn how to edit video at this point. Yeah. I'm just not. Yeah. Well, so how are you it, it feels like you've been pretty good up to this point at getting people even early on around you that you that covered your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. How were you able to do that early on? Like what was your, um, yeah. Like how are, how are you doing that? Like, how are you able to get people you've got, obviously you're working with clients still, so you've got work coming in, but you can't pay somebody to be full time. You can't pay somebody to do 
whatever that is. How are you getting the right people around you, even when you don't have or may not have the funds necessary for that or um, the processes for that? Like how, how are you doing that? It's a great question. You know, some of it is through conversation and asking people like, who do they know? Um, but I will tell you, and I'm going to try to say this the best way I can without coming off some type of way. But I believe our team really believes in what we're doing. I really do believe that. And I know that sounds like storybook. But I mean, I am so passionate about what we're building and the effect that we have with what we're doing. I think it's somewhat magnetic. Like, I think our team is behind it, mm-hmm. honestly. I had um, somebody um, heard me uh, speak live at one point, and they messaged me, and they said, I would like to meet with you about an internship. And I'm like, cool. They heard me speak. They want to meet with me for an internship. Um, it was Missy. You know, somebody that now manages my leadership development groups, creates a lot of our marketing and our one sheets and Mm -hmm. all of this. By the way, she's a grown woman with a degree and has a good job. Yeah. And I'm like, why does this make sense? Why do you want to intern with me? And she was like, it's not that I need the money. I have a pretty good job. She was like, I just want some proximity to you to learn. And I just want my fingerprint on what you're building. Like, I believe in what you're building. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. And look, whether you're starting a business or you have an established business, this is what I'll say on that note. You will attract who you are, not what you want. Who are you? Hmm. You will attract who you, who, who you are, not what you want. That's how you get talented people that bleed what you're bleeding. Yeah. That's a, you, you attract who you are, not the poster, not the job description. Yeah. Huh. Okay. And I guess have most of those people come through referrals or just network or just happen to run into people? Like it's... I mean, I've never done a job posting if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of crazy looking at it from the outside. Like you've got... It is actually to me too. I guess really how many people have there been a ton of employees or I mean like, all in 1099s part time all of that we have eight okay and I mean um, some are like really part time like yeah. 5 hours yeah a month to edit youtube videos yeah. type thing um okay yeah that's a i mean that that's a a piece that is super important if you can nail that because you've got you don't you can't pay somebody you can't pay a staff correct when you're starting. Correct. Probably. You're literally trying to find a needle in a haystack. Yeah. Because um, you want high skill, but you can't give them high skill money. Yeah. And uh, you can't even offer them full time. Yeah. So it's like you're literally, that that could delay your progress. Yeah. Or you have the other option, which is like put all your chips on the table, pay them what they earn, and yeah. pray to God that it works out. Yeah. That is an option. It's not the one I took. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that you're currently, so that we kind of got a little sidetracked there, but the scaling thing. That's the, that, that's, that's still. It. Um, it's a work in progress. Yeah. And I don't really know if there's a right or wrong. I mean, there's scaling principles for yeah. sure. 
you know, have the cash flow, you know, look at your debt to income ratios. You're looking at all this to figure out when are you going to invest? Are you going to stockpile the money, then make the hire? Or are you going to make the hire so that you can get the money? Yeah. And those are all things that the, the, we call this healthy tension, right? In when you're in growth mode. Yeah. And so, you know, some of it is a lot of forecasting, looking at what your trends are. Uh, does it make sense to rebuild the website? Yeah. Is now the time? Yeah. Is it going to add value? Like these are constantly things that we have to be assessing as we scale mm. and as we build the infrastructure. Yeah. Hmm. And that's stuff I'm learning through. Yeah. Like I was just introduced to the concept of geofencing. And I'm like, Brad probably knew about this all along, right? Yeah. And it was like, it blew my mind that I could market to somebody in this zip code yeah. for this specific event. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Linktree, we talked about it. Like, yeah. These are all things that you don't know sometimes, but you got to build and work through. Yeah. Well, unless you either know the right questions or like you don't know what you don't know. That's really it. So that's if, really it. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to learn things that you don't even know how to ask the questions for. Yep. Um, okay. So that's what you're currently dealing with. Um, I will say this on that note before we transition. One thing that I would recommend any entrepreneur if you're going to make an investment early and you're building your infrastructure and it's one that paid dividends for me was my accountant. Mm. Unless that's your thing, get a great accountant because they're going to talk to you about your taxes, how to set up your company, you know, all of this different stuff. And I would say that I'm above average with my knowledge with that. Yeah. But this isn't something to play with. Yeah. You, you can get some things wrong. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't one of them. Yeah. And so that's one thing I think we did well. Okay. That's, that's good. Um, did you, did you know that immediately? Like, did you know that that was going to be super important or did you? You know, just through all of the exposure I've had, I knew it was super important and I believed that it was cause I've heard it yeah. being said for years on end, Yeah. but I didn't really understand really what it meant until I was involved. Okay. And I was like, oh, my god!" Year gosh. one, did you do that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Before I even left CentOS, I had it. Oh, well, I, okay. I mean, I was building okay. that base. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, okay. Well, uh, any uh, – we're at an hour and 42 minutes right now. Wow. Um, anything else that sticks out? We already talked – I talked to you before about this. So this is probably going to be a uh, – I'll have you back on to – talk a little bit more specifically about a couple things that I wanted to talk to you about. But okay. um, but for now, with the scaling or with challenges that you've faced up to this point, is there anything else that kind of sticks out as like, oh, I didn't mention that, but this was a massive, a massive issue or something that I really had to work through um, up to this point in your first two and a half, three years? I would say a, li a little bit of it would be the, the branding Okay. Now, the podcast has done a, a pretty good job helping me with that. but and, and I've even had this conversation with you. Like, I think I already had, I had some level of structure. Yeah. But I don't feel like we had the presence and the look of where we were going. Yeah. And so I really felt like I waited too long for that. Again, I don't think it was broken. Yeah. Now, I'm also not the guy that's like, you got to have the best business cards and a fully functional website and all this stuff to get started. I do those things and I don't believe that. You know what that. I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you don't need the best, um, 
kiosk mm-hmm. in the front of the building and all of this. Matter of fact, I would almost say like earn the right to get those things nicer. Yeah. I've, and, and I've the big marketing budgets. But I think we waited too long. Yeah. Yeah. I've almost the way I've kind of been thinking about a lot of those things recently is like it's this right sized approach where it's like, okay, as you're growing, your competition is now changing. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're better than them, you don't have to be the absolute best in this industry. Right. But like if I'm if if you're being compared to somebody who is at a similar level, you should be you're you want your stuff to be better than them. No doubt. Better than your competition. No doubt. But you don't need to spend the, like if you've got five grand when you're starting, don't spend it no. all to ma- have the greatest no. the greatest restaurant website no. on the East Coast. Have it's the like, best food. Yeah. Have like, the best food. Have a website that's better than than the competition or at bare minimum equal. But like you got five grand. Right. Let's use this intelligently. Like right. it doesn't need to be the best. It needs to be better than who you're being compared to. Correct. Um, and I think that's that like right sized. And I think you're right in that you, you waited too long. But I don't think by much. Like, right. I, I don't think I don't think some of that I agree. is, uh, you know, well, I mean, again, back to getting around the who like I yeah. had you yeah. saying, hey, maybe think of this or maybe think of that. When I know we put it when we first met. We talked about it and it was like, eh, I think you're good enough for now. Like, well, and that's what it was. It was like I was never really satisfied with it, but I had to weigh the costs of is this where I want to invest? Yeah. Do I want to invest in a better website or do I want to bring another trainer on? Yeah. Do in I want to? And it Bringing was, a, on it the was a no-brainer. A, yeah, like, it, it just right like this right-sized approach, I've, especially with small businesses, feels like it has, you got to take that. Like I 100% agree. It's, you can't, you can't be the best at everything because you don't have unlimited funds. Yeah. So yeah, way I mean, out these I options. I see so many entrepreneurs make this mistake where they, they, in, I mean, cash is king when you're scaling. Mm-hmm. But I see so many entrepreneurs shoot the wad early. I mean, they're buying the coffee mugs with logos. You know, they're buying all well, the fancy things. That stuff's things. fun. Having a really dope website and a really it's dope great. video, that stuff's really fun. It's great. And it does look good. And it makes you legit. Now yeah. I'm legitimized because yeah. I got a coffee mug with my logo on it. Yeah. And all my friends know about it. And I got a website and I got the business cards and I got all this stuff. And look, I'm not saying those things aren't important. Yeah. But you you got to make sure that you're always prioritizing where the cash is being spent. Yeah. And I will tell you this. If it is not adding value to the customer experience Early on, my opinion, unless you got a bunch of private equity and whatnot, serve the customer. Yeah. If you're going to invest in something, make the customer experience better. Build a better burger and people will come eat it. Yeah. Like we have restaurants here locally that have never advertised a dime mm-hmm. and they're out the door. Yeah. Oso's Pizza, uh, yeah. Shorties, you could go yeah. down the list. Well, it kind of goes back to- I don't even to know if their food's that great. Right? Your, it's just like, bang, we're yeah. going. It goes back to what, like the thing that you realized or refocused on during COVID, which is how can you better serve the, the customer? That's it, man. And that's if, the game. That's the whole thing. If that's your approach the whole time- like it's not that success is inevitable because you still could fail for sure. Oh, but if 100%. the focus is that's a reality. Yeah, if the focus is on the customer and just improving their experience, whatever that means. Yep. Like that's that's a good place oh, to yeah. start. And you know what? That sounds like a cool thing to say on Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't, you can't teach this piece of being a leader, being a business owner. You can't teach it. Everybody hears it. But you cannot teach authenticity. Yeah. You can't teach genuine. You either are it or you're not. You're not faking anybody. Yeah. Like, do you truly want to serve your customer? Is it truly your passion? Or are you constantly thinking about, uh, don't put another ounce of gravy on there because it's going to kill the expenses. Mm -hmm. Or are you saying, look, another ounce would make that customer so happy. Yeah. Like, what is your mindset? We see this in leadership, too. I'm, I want to be a leader because that's where all the money is. And I want to hit all my numbers so that I can get promoted. Here's a newsflash. Make your people great. Yeah. Serve your customers. I told you I haven't done a sales call in 18 months. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. but And by the way, I love to do sales calls. Yeah. But it's like somebody, uh, hey, I got a call from Lynn, and she said that you did a good job. Can we meet? Yeah, I'd love to meet. That's your best form of marketing. Yeah. That's your best website, all that. Those things are necessary. Yeah. But do them when it makes sense. Yeah. Don't overextend. Yeah. It's that right size, right time. Like. Yeah. Um, and I don't have all the answers, and most of them I'm learning from falling off the bike. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, um, all right. Well, uh, any anything else to add? We've uh, man, I think we've, we've covered, covered a lot. quite a bit. We've covered a lot. But man, you do a great job pulling out um, the best in people for sure. And I'd love to come back on. We'll see what the listeners have to say about the episode. And if the if the people speak, maybe I'll come back on and answer any questions that they might yeah. have. Yeah, I've got some good ideas for another episode that's a little bit more focused on. Uh, some uh, some different challenges for uh, small business owners, but we'll get to that eventually. Looking um, forward to one it. step at a time. Um, okay, well, uh, all of your links. I'm going to guess based on what I know about you that you do not know all of your things off the top of your head. All of your Instagram handles. I know. And your, I know your my, website. You know your website. I do I know my it. website, jeffhancher.com, and I know Instagram is jeff.hancher. Okay. Uh, there are some fakers out there these oh, days. So big time. Yeah, I'm not a blue check mark yet, but uh, <laughs> jeff.hancher is uh, is me on Instagram. Love to have the follow and engage you in that way. Uh, all right. I will uh, include all of those links below. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. That's another episode of Clearing the Way. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Thanks for allowing me to use the studio. Love and, it. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool space. And it's a privilege. We've, it's an honor. Appreciate we've done, you having me. We've done well. So thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're consuming this. I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners.